welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. So I am really excited to welcome Katherine Weber to the podcast today. Katherine is the owner and artist behind the beloved hand-dyed warp yarn company, Blazing Shuttles, and she has been a full-time weaver and dyer since the 1970s. She has a really gorgeous eye for color and creating deep and saturated colorways with unique combinations. And on top of all that, Catherine is also a dyeing and weaving teacher. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation today. Welcome, Catherine. Well, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I would love to start out by asking how you became a weaver and what first interested you in this craft. Well, man, that was a long time ago. So I started, I'd... I'd been in a family of really creative people. So everybody, and really what I mean by that is because I think everybody's creative, but I think my family gave us permission to be creative. And um, so I have writers and I have potters and I have, you know, just all sorts of people that are self-employed and, and working at making a living, um, you know, more from the heart than necessarily from um, the uh, the payment schedule, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But um, I started weaving when I was a, a Warren Wilson student, Warren Wilson College in the mountains of North Carolina. It's a tiny little college. And it was just something I did in the evenings while I was working toward my psychology degree. So um, anyway, I did a few little woven things there, but there wasn't a floor loom. In fact, there wasn't any kind of loom. We made frames and um, you know, did something that's sort of like, um, oh, with the, uh, with the bamboo poles and just strung up strings and just, um, started weaving. And it was so much fun. Then when I had a chance, I went to, um, to places where I could use a floor loom and, uh, had lot, lot of interest in that. What, what really was my big beginning is that after I finished my my college degree and actually worked in psychiatric hospitals for a couple of years, I decided that um, I really wanted to pursue weaving. So the, there's a program here in Haywood County where I live, Haywood County, North Carolina, that is called the Professional Crafts Program. And it was fairly new at the time. It's a two-year full-time program, and I mean through the summers. It's very intense. And they have four different sections media and so you could either do fiber which is mostly weaving metals which is mostly jewelry clay which was pottery and uh, wood which is mostly furniture so I went through the fiber program there and it was set up to not only teach me weaving skills but also to help me become a professional weaver so I got business classes and exhibition classes and photography classes and um, you know really just a lot of things I needed to help me not only make fiber work but to be able to market it. Wow that's great and and what did you do when you graduated? So when I got out 
I well, it was I was at that point where I was in my twenties and uh, totally no other financial support at all. My my husband at the time was had gone through the woodworking program, so we were doing this as a couple. He was building furniture and I was weaving, but uh, we didn't have any outside income, and um, so we we did learn how to live on very very little, which is a skill I think everyone should have um, but it was sort of the case where each thing I sold allowed me to buy the next cone of yarn and uh, to make the next thing so I started out making things that I absolutely knew I could sell so at the time those were placemats and napkins and runners because I knew that as soon as I made those they would sell so that's what I started out doing it doing that in in a production manner so that I was really moving through each set as, as efficiently as possible, possible gave me this huge amount of um, just craft dexterity so that when I went on to weave other things, I took um, skills with me that I, that I gained while I was doing things that weren't really exciting, but that were supporting me and helping me learn my craft. And how did you get into dyeing? Well, actually, that's been my main interest from the very beginning. So when I was in the program, the, the weaving program, uh, I took dyeing classes. And uh, my instructor there for two years was Catherine Ellis, who wrote the books on uh, it really explored woven shibori. Now, this was pre-woven shibori, but she's always been an incredible technician, and she really believes in doing things by the book. And actually, she's writing some of the books, but <laughs> one way or the <laughs> other, she's very particular. Whereas I really wanted to approach dying more as an artist and less as a scientist. So. I took classes with her and I learned all the things that, you know, were supposed to be done. And um, so after I understood it well enough to be able to dye and recreate colors fairly accurately, then little by little, I started um, just experimenting with it in my own way, in a way that would be sustainable for me. Because if I wasn't going to really, really enjoy this process, it would not have been something I would have kept doing over the years. So anyway, everything I did incorporated a lot of color and little by little that really became what I was known for because the weaving I was doing is always very simple, very, very simple, um, you know, twills and plain weaves and um, color and weave effect, but, but nothing, nothing fancy in the weaving. Mostly I was known for color. And what is it about dyeing that attracted you so much? And, you know, it's obviously a lot more work than just buying commercially dyed yarn. So why did you love it? Well, the thing is, I um, when I was doing the placemats and I had to make each group match the last group the best I could, um, I could buy, I was buying yarn literally in 500 pound boxes regularly straight from the mills in Georgia and uh, the, the spinning mills. And because I could buy it affordably, but if I bought it all in white, then I could make all the colors that I wanted, but I, I did have to be able to reproduce those colors. Um, as soon as I could 
start doing more fun things I did because just dyeing blue over and over and over is not very exciting. So the hand dyed yarns that I really enjoy doing are the ones that shade and change in color, have sort of a feel of ecot, sort of a feel of painted warps, but each warp now is different from the last warp. And um, it's so much, it's just so much fun to weave when every time you advance your warp, something new comes over the back beam. And I, I have to tell you, that kept me at my loom for many, many hours that I might have been tempted to get up and find something else to do. And what kind of dyes do you use? What is your dyeing process from start to finish? Well, I am totally dyeing cellulose. I, I don't work with animal fibers. And I think part of that's being in the South. And part of it's from not having grown up with animal fibers as part of my my personal life, particularly. But um, so I work, I work with the cotton. So I use the... Um, fiber reactive, the MX dyes, fiber reactive dyes, which are commonly known as Procyon. And um, I, uh, of course, there's, there's so many steps to it. But these days, when I'm dying, because I'm doing so much dying, uh, I mean, I'm doing more dying than weaving, which was not the case early on. But I, I have someone who helps me, my, my uh, good, good, good helper, Joe Cordell, who has just been fabulous, but uh, he winds warps for me, which is a huge part of the process. It's just winding warps. So we wind warps, we scour warps, um, then I dye them, we let them sit for 24 hours to batch, then we rinse them, we boil them, because that's the fastest way to clean them out when you're working with as much as I'm working with. And then we re-rinse them and then we dry them and then I chain them. So each one of those steps is pretty much a full day. Wow. And so obviously you're not, you're not dying all of this to weave yourself. You have your business called Blazing Shuttles. And how did you decide to start selling your dyed yarn to weavers and how did that business develop? Well, since my favorite part was always the dyeing anyway, and really it was the dyeing and the planning of the next warp. So by the time I got it all dyed, I got it all planned, and I got it set up, then I was sitting at the loom throwing the shuttle, sort of wishing I was done with that part um, and, and moving on. But what it did is it gave me time while I was doing that to be planning the next one. Um, so as time went by... I love to take pictures. I'm, I was just always loved the photography. And my feeling was that each step along the way was absolutely beautiful. That, that the finished cloth was no more beautiful than the dye process. And that was no more beautiful than the finished dyed yarn. Or the yarn hanging on the line in my backyard in the North Carolina mountains, drying with my garden in the background and my sunflowers and so each step to me was wasn't just part of the process but each step could have been an ending place and I would have been satisfied but um since I had to sell things <laughs> I had to had to finish them to other people's satisfaction so um took a lot of photographs so then when Facebook came along I was uh, posting my photographs of my dyed yarn on my line. 
and I had someone contact me and say, I am interested in a rainbow warp. So these are warps that are very colorful. And um, I want to make some towels. So I thought, well, gosh, if she wants to, maybe someone else would like to. So I put a little note on my face, but my Facebook page, and said, I'm going to be dyeing a rainbow warp. And if anybody else wants one, let me know. Well, it, I was just amazed how many people wanted one. So we, I overnight started what I call Blazing Shuttles Warp of the Month Club, which is sort of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, the whole Warp of the Month Club makes it sound so official. But, <laughs> but really, it's just, I dyed warps. If you want some, let me know. And uh, so anyway, it, just, it was just this fabulous connection for me because not only could I do more dyeing and less weaving, uh, and at that point, I had di- I'd been weaving for, gosh, 35 years. So I'd, I had woven miles and miles and miles of fabric. and uh, But now I could dye yarn and then encourage other people to weave it. And it felt very much like a collaboration with me and people, not just all of the United States, but all over the world. It must be so neat to see the things that have started as your own artistic creation then become interpreted and woven by other people. What are some of your favorite things that your customers have woven? Oh my gosh. Well, because I, like I said, I always wear very simple things. It's been interesting to me to see people that are really involved with uh, complex weaving and, you know, oh gosh, like tremendously multi-harness weaving that things that I would not do. Um, and uh, see what they do with them. What's what's really been exciting to me is the idea of mixing warps because a single hand-dyed warp, if you put it on and weave it and you don't do anything to it, um, the way the colors are is you just have horizontal stripes of color that shade into another color. So what I found very exciting and I think what really grew, grew, grew my Blazing Shuttles group is explaining and helping people figure out how to take several warps that even perhaps look like they don't have anything in common, but then combine them into what I call the mother warp. And uh, so that the project become can com- become incredibly complex in terms of the colors, by the way, in which multiple warps are combined. And then whatever they do with them from there is, is they own that, that's theirs. And uh, so we collaborate to a point. That's great. How do you help people select which colorways they can mix together? Because that must be challenging. It's more than just deciding, you know, a red and a purple go together. Well, interestingly, I truly believe they all go together. Hmm. And and what it I work with seven dyes. I when I dye, if you go to any of the dye companies, they have literally hundreds of dyes. I mean hundreds. And uh, I have found seven that work with me, work for me and that I use to make all my colors. So I have a yellow, which is just a nice straight yellow. Um, doesn't go green, doesn't go gold, it's just yellow. And then I have a warm red and a cool red, 
a warm blue and a cool blue, and then two neutrals, one that is cool and one that is warm. And with those, I can make anything. But it, what it means is since I'm only using seven colors total, I believe that almost any warps that you buy from me, all of them have colors in common because I'm I'm changing the percentage of those colors and the combination of those colors, but it's just seven. So all the warps, I think, work together well. When I suggest to people um, what they might try, because free, I sell on my on my Facebook page, well, it's actually on my website, but it's through Facebook, um, I sell what I call sister warps. And those are warps that I have dyed particularly to work well together and they're, and their colors I think work well together and there a lot of these warps are on the website singly but people don't think necessarily about putting them together so I'll just put them together photograph them together and sell them as a set called sister warps frequently what they are is a combination of warm and cool colors with one of those dominating Hmm. And how do you how do you advise people to think about selecting weft colors? Do you pick a dominant color in there or do you pick like a black or a Well, a that can be tricky. And a lot of people just uh, people that have used my warps now for several years have their go-to their go-to weft colors. And so each one will ha give you a different idea of what they like to use. Of course, black is the safest if you don't mind your warp your fabric going dark because the black doesn't interfere with any of the other colors. In fact, it showcases them. But um, what if you don't want to use black, my next suggestion is to set the, um, set the warp fairly densely and uh, um, so that the wet, so that the weft doesn't show up as much as the warp. So, that works out better if you can get away with it set a little little closer than balance. Then the other suggestion is to go with sort of a medium shade of a neutral. So you can go warm neutral or cool neutral depending on what direction you're taking your fabric. So one of the other things I suggest is that, at least in my work, is that when I was weaving, um, I was weaving for a long time full size blankets on a 72 inch AVL. And so I'm in the middle of it and I'm weaving along and I go, you know, I'm just not that crazy about the green in this. This is not my particular go-to shade of, of green. So I might use a complementary color to the green to tone it down. So I might throw in a, a red of some sort of burgundy or a rust, depending on which way I want to take it. And so sometimes I will change the colors in my warp by using its complement, or at least tone it down a little. That's all really great advice that you must have picked up um, over the many years that you've been weaving and dyeing. I saw that you've been working full-time as a weaver and dyer since the 1970s, which is really inspiring and encouraging to me as someone who has just in the last few years tried to make a living full-time in textiles. And I am really interested in hearing how you've seen the craft and industry change over the decades and how that's impacted how you're able to make a living in this kind of work. 
Well, one uh, a major thing for me, especially working in the uh, cellulose fibers, is that when I first started weaving in the late 70s, um, there were so many textile mills in the South, and materials were so, so, so inexpensive. There were you could buy anything that you wanted directly from, well, I mean, if you bought enough, you could buy it from the cotton mills themselves, but you'd have a lot of choice there. But even better than that, since I was really working on a shoestring and I was inventing each piece, I, I, I was weaving whatever I wanted to weave and I, I knew what the market would bear. But since I wasn't doing commission pieces any more than I had to, what it meant was I had a lot of freedom and I could pick up a lot of my yarn as remainder yarn from the industry. So there was just, I mean, I was buying yarn regularly for 70 cents a pound mm -hmm. and it was crazy. But what it meant was mm -hmm. my material expense was very low and, um, and not only did that help me out financially, but it really helped me because since I was buying lots of different weights and different uh, textures because I was buying whatever I could find, it helped me learn to be creative in my use of yarn because I was very adamant I wanted good, stable fabric because ultimately I'm a functional weaver. And I, I wasn't making art fabric. I was making really usable fabric and so it so it had to be good so I had to learn how to make combined yarns in a way that now has been still all these years later just a fabulous fun thing that I enjoy doing but now of course the textile industries have pretty much all shut down and there's there are still a few spinners but all that excess of cellulose yarn for very inexpensive is no longer available. So that's been definitely a big change. I think the whole craft industry has changed in that when I started, a lot of people were my age. They were in their 20s. And the interesting thing is that a lot of those craftspeople are still my age, but now we're in our 60s. And um, I have recently seen new people coming along in a more wonderfully than I did for many, many years. I think the baby wrap um, wearing phenom has brought a huge number of new weavers out of the out into the world because there's a lot of stay home moms that um, are just so excited to find something that they could do and love. And I, so I think that's been huge. Yeah. And and what was it like as you saw the textile industry changing, did you have to adapt your own business to be able to continue making a living at it? Or how did you adapt as that was changing? Well, it certainly did change. I, I had to be more creative in terms of finding yarn. And I had a few sources that had huge amounts of yarn that they had collected over the years when it was still very affordable. And but just recently, they've really gone out of, you know, they, they are no longer in business. So the last thing I did last year was pretty much just stockpile all the yarn I could find. So um, I have had to pay more for it. I've had to change what I do. Um, 
But I've also bought enough yarn that I'm sort of hoping that that's <laughs> going <laughs> to carry me for quite a while. Yeah. Well, to go along with all of that yarn, you must do a whole lot of warping since most of the yarn that you sell is, is pre-wound into warps. And I'm curious what tools you use to create so many warps. You already mentioned that there's somebody in your studio who helps you out with it. Yes. And because I went, because from the very beginning, I was approaching this, not just as something I love to do, but also something that I needed to be as efficient as possible. Um, I, I just started right out doing everything in multiples. Um, I, I don't, from, I guess, 1980 on, I have never even owned a warping board. I do not own a warping board. The very idea of standing at a warping board doing a few threads at a time is not something I can comprehend. I, I have a warping reel. It's a horizontal. It's three yards around. It's about six yards long. So I could do 30, 40, 50 yard warps on it if I chose to do them that long. Um, I wind from 10 to 20 cones at a time using a um, warping paddle. So my studio is set up where all the cones are on the floor. They feed up through eye hooks in the ceiling of my studio and then down to my paddle. And then the um, then spinning that warping horizontal reel is just so easy and it, it's so smooth that it makes the process very, you know, much more efficient and enjoyable than it would be otherwise. That's great. So you also, I understand, do a lot of teaching of weaving and dyeing. What are your classes like and where are you going to be teaching in the upcoming year that people could come learn from you? Well, I'm, um, I started teaching years ago at the John C. Campbell Folk School, and I I just highly recommend that to anybody. It's it's a fabulous program, lots of weavers there, and it was a really wonderful place for me. I haven't taught there in the last year or two because I um, have just had so many opportunities to travel. I started teaching more and more through guilds and through conferences, and um, that's just been very interesting. I I end up being able to meet a lot of the people in the guilds that I have met online through the Blazing Shuttles community, mainly because that's that's how people hear about me. And so when I get hired to teach at a guild or a conference, they generally already knew me. So it's I love traveling. I love meeting the people in person. My weaving classes are... Um, pretty much three-day workshops, which is really pushing what we do into three days. It's, it's, um, it's tough, but doable. We start out, I get everybody to come with a dummy warp so that we start out by tying on. Um, it's, it's not, people think that the dummy warp, its job is to um, speed up the process so that you don't have to take time rethreading. And as I do admit, I think that's a wonderful thing. For me, it's more of a, des it's a design tool because when all those threads are sitting right there ready for us to add to them, if you've got multiple dyed warps, putting on from front to back is a 
to me, it's the easiest way to do that because you can sort them out into any stripes. You can put any thread into any dent, into any heddle. So that's why I, I like to wind on. I like to set up from front to back. But with the dummy warp, you have a physical, physical representation of what you're doing. So you're not, you can design it as you're looking at it, as you lift each thread, you can say, what color would I like this thread to be? And so it, to me, it it's a very tactile and visual way of designing as opposed to working it out on a computer or on graph paper or cutting strips of construction paper. It's just, it's the actual thread on thread. And um, so, so I just, I love doing I love designing that way. So I actually do have more of a system than just, oh, let's all start tying threads on here. But, uh, but there is that, that freedom of um, being able to manipulate the threads that way. That's great. Well, Catherine, I really appreciate the time that you spent today sharing your story and about your your business and, and your dying. Before we wrap up, I would love if you could tell people how to find out about you on social media and on the internet. And also if you have any parting advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been great. I was just so happy when you asked me to come. Um, I am, if the best way to find me is on Facebook, and I know not everybody does Facebook, but I highly recommend for those who um are not big on it that there's so many wonderful fiber fiber avenues that if you didn't ever do anything else it would still be worth it to come for that um i am blazing shuttles uh on facebook i'm also katherine weber that's k-a-t-h-r-i-n-w-e-b-e-r and there's uh quite a few different blazing shuttles pages so please come and find me on that that's great. And what about any words of wisdom or parting advice for weavers? Oh, you know, as much as possible, just enjoy it and don't take it too seriously. I think the idea of be of playing is huge and saying, what if, what if I did this one? Yeah, but what if I did this? What if I changed that? What if I tried this? What if I reslate it? What if I anything. And so the whole idea of exploring and playing is huge. So just, just don't take it so seriously. I like it. I like it very much. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Bye. That's a wrap. If all this talking about color has you curious, go check out the show notes to see pictures of Catherine's gorgeous dye work, as well as some of the beautiful weaving that she has created with it. You'll also find links to Catherine's website and her Facebook group there. That's at www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 13. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. Before I finish up, I wanted to share something that might be of interest to my favorite Weaver podcast listeners out there. About six weeks ago, I started up a new section on my website, www.gistyarn.com, where my customers are sharing some of their most creative and stunning weaving projects, complete with all the geeky Weaver details. 
Every Friday, I publish a new project, and so far you can find everything from deflected double weave alpaca scarves to a gorgeous wool poncho to cotton linen wrapping cloths, plus uh, really a lot more. It's a fun way to get a peek into other weavers' creative processes. So if you want to check it out, you can find it at www.gistyarn.com inspiration. And if you like, you can sign up for the email list there and get new weaving inspiration delivered straight to your inbox every Friday morning. And if you have a project that you'd like to share there, please be in touch with me. Usually this is the part of the episode where I tell you what's up next week, but to be honest, I'm not quite sure. I have a few things in the works and haven't quite sorted out the order of the next few episodes. So you'll have to tune in next Monday for a surprise. And until next time, happy weaving! Happy weaving!